Amen. So um, I thought today we'd talk about uh, the fact that a promise must be possessed. A promise must be possessed. And I know when we think about promises, uh, we think about um, just having something come into our lives. Like if your parents promise you, uh, well, Sunday after church, we're going to go to Cedar Point. Uh, you look forward to it, but you don't have to do much. You just got to be there. Just don't run away from home Saturday night. Be there and go to church Sunday after church. Y'all go to Cedar Point, and so uh, and it's it it the that is similar to God's way of doing things, but there are some differences involved. Uh, promises must be possessed, and what that means is there is some activity that is required of us that we might obtain the promises of God. Now, they are already freely given. And this is something that don't don't ever let anybody take that away from you. The promises are not earned. They are freely given. God promises he has a covenant with us. He wants to care for us. He wants us to uh, obey him in all things. But he also has a plan for our lives. And I think promises have to do with uh, how we see ourselves before God. Um, Do you see yourself as somebody that God empowers to do his work and his will? Or are you see somebody, you see yourself as somebody who's just kind of sitting idly waiting for something to happen like you did with dad and mom? And then if dad and mom didn't come through for you, you were mad at them. Because they didn't, you know, they disappointed you or something like that. So disappointment is always lurking in the background with us to try and manifest itself because of that word promise. Because if we believe, if we believe God wants us to have something, then we must believe he knows how to make everything walk uh work and fall into place so that we can possess what it is that he has promised us and so in 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 god there's a place where he has a an individual vision for us and then he has a larger vision and many times the fact that we are are promised something has to do with something much larger than we are Whatever God promises you has to do with something much larger than you are. Most Christians have kind of a limited, what what they call world view. Like, how do you see yourself in light of the universe? How do you see yourself in light of the rest of the world? And when you have a very, very limited worldview, you see only your household, your needs, your promises, your pains, your suffering. When you see yourself uh, as the central part of your world, instead of seeing yourself uh, in a large world and you're playing a part in something in that world, you'll, you'll be more understanding of God's ways and you'll be more understanding of why it takes certain kinds of activity or say, certain effort on our part to just accomplish, say, for instance, uh, getting a bill paid or having a decent family life or having a decent job or something like that. If you will look at it in terms of I am a person, that God has given, endowed with power, 
to affect the whole world, then you will see yourself more accurately in the things of God. Because if you only see yourself as somebody who, I need this, I need that, I'm not happy with this, I'm happy with that. If you just see your world as being that small, only affecting you and never affecting anything outside of you too much, you know, outside of your little family, your little house, and your little walls, then you won't have an accurate understanding of possessing why that's important, why understanding uh, how you possess things in God is so vitally important. Uh, you'll just see yourself as, as living in your little small world, and if you decide you don't want something, you just walk away from it. And I think that is so wrong for us to think that way in light of what God has called us to be in the world. And so we have to see the promises of God as not just affecting us, and our, what we hold dear, you know, uh, my four and no more. You know, that's, that was one of the old sayings in the church where, you know, that was one of the sayings if they wanted to collect for missions. You know, don't say it's just me and my four and no more. You know, you got to think about somebody else and they take an offering that wasn't very big, you know, for somebody way on the other side of the world who's suffering, doesn't have daily bread, so forth and so on. But we do have to remember that when God promises us something, that obligates us to obtain it. A promise that the Bible says, how will we escape? We, we escape if we neglect so great a salvation. So there's more riding on you, say, using your faith to get your job straightened out or using your faith to get your marriage straightened out. Sometimes God wants you to overcome problems in relationships so that you can minister to other people. We just think about what we want. You know, I'm not happy. You know, or I'm happy or not happy. The, our worldview is so very limited sometimes. And I think if we'll look beyond where we are, we'll relax a little bit as far as believing. I think when you understand the importance of your believing God for the things that pertain to you, that they can have an impact on the world outside of you, you'll get more comfortable believing God will give it to you. Because, you know, you think about it, God's not just doing this for me, but it can affect so many other people, what I do and what I say. I was thinking about that. Sometimes your witness is, is something that you don't even know is effective to people until somebody would, would reveal that to you. You know, like sometimes people will say things like, um, well, I knew you were a different kind of person because. And then they'll tell you something they observed you doing and you don't even remember doing it. And you not even, you didn't think that impressed anybody that God was there. But we are open epistles. The Bible says known and read of all men. We have to obtain the promises of God, and it's not just for yourself. Forget about you. God will take care of you. He just wants you out there working for him. You know, he wants you using your faith, and he wants you to understand that there are greater and greater things that you will do if you will be one who possesses. A person who respects God's word and respects his promises will be eager to possess because they will look beyond themselves and look at a bigger picture. And if you will look at the larger picture, you'll get more comfortable. Sometimes your your opinion of yourself 
will reflect negatively on God's desire to bless you. You have to watch yourself in that regard. Sometimes you don't feel too blessable. Sometimes you don't feel all holy and and sanctified and righteous and stuff like that. And that condemnation will cause you to take kind of a negative view on your value before God and will keep you from doing things. But I know for a fact, if you get up every day and you understand, God, somebody's dependent on me to get up and pray today. My prayers matter. Somebody who's sick needs somebody to, who knows God to give them a word or a word of encouragement. The fact that this city is in ruins is not going to change unless I am faithful doing my prayers. And so it'll change you, folks. When you get God's perspective on you and who you are, it will change you because you will see that there's more to you than what's going on in in your life, your personal life. There's so much more to you. And it doesn't always have to do with money. You know, sometimes people think, well, I got to keep a good job because I got to, you know, give and God's expecting me. That's true. But he will receive whatever it is that you give. You don't have to have a high-powered job or a big-paying job to be a faithful giver. And so, uh, but we, we can understand, though, that God needs people to do all kinds of things for him, be the witness that he wants us to, to be. And that can only happen if you know how to possess his promises, whether it's a promise for your personal life, promise for your city, promise for your, your employer, a promise for a neighbor, Whatever it is, there should be no distinction in your life in what you're praying for because it's all the work of God. So promises have to be possessed, and there is a work in possessing the promises of God. And you'll find, I'm going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 1. If you'll turn there, and we'll talk some about Israel and how they responded to God's promise of possessing a land that flowed with milk and honey you need to understand god is not giving you anything that's not desirable to you whatever god plans for you it is in line with the desires of your heart so whatever god plans for you it's good it's desirable and it's worth the effort of possessing it is worth possessing so we should never like get to a, a place where we think, well, God, I only need so-and-so. This is too tough for me to believe you for more. Just give me so-and-so and such-and-such. Such. No, just stand on the word of what he's promised you, and, uh, and, and you'll be fine. I know when I was thinking about having to pay back those student loans, and I thought, well, how much could I, could I, uh, could I um, uh, afford to give back, you know, to kind of compromise. And then I looked at the word. I said, no, God, it says here that you, you preserve the border of the widow. You understand what I'm saying? You preserve what you've given to me. You don't let it go for naught. And to be honest with you, I totally expected this young lady to be able to pay her bills back. You know, that's what you want. That's the And she did too. You know, people don't feel good when they put you out to help them and so it's better all around if if those commitments can be made and and you get a piece about these things and so god in his wisdom 
decided to spare because everything I have is committed to the Lord. I look at it as God, if the devil takes my money, that's less what I can do for the kingdom. And I sincerely mean that. I'm not one of these people that's got to have the best of everything. And, uh, you know, that devil got killed in me when I got saved. Well, some of you are listening. I don't know what y'all paying attention to today, but you need to listen to the word. Uh, <laughs> I'll get to the part you want to hear about in a minute, okay? You know, people sometimes, church people are funny. They want to clock out on you until you talk about what one thing. You better tell me about one something that's on my mind. Well, you're going to hear from what God wants to say today for a change. Because that, whatever it is is bugging you, is going to change when God sees fit for it to change. So, see, this is your worldview. Is what? What do you? What are you here for? You here just to hear about stuff that's going to benefit you personally, or are you here to learn the ways of God? And so, when you learn the ways of God, it's a wonderful thing to know what it is that He wants for you. He wants us to look at ourselves as being a part of a worldwide body of believers. Not just your little household. You get bored with that. You know, we had a movement, a women's live movement, because rich ladies got sick of being bored of being at home. So they decided they'd protest and get out. And I looked at them and I said, I don't know what y'all protesting about, but I would love for some men to tell me to sit at home <laughs> and move only when I wanted to. You understand what I'm saying? And that ain't in my history at all. <laughs> I come from a long line of women that work very hard. For very little, for very long. So it's about time to get a little rest from that. But anyway, I don't mind working. I don't mind working for God, you know. But uh, anyway, God gave Israel promises and in a physical land that he told them that they had to possess. God didn't hold, uh, didn't pull any punches with them. He let them know exactly what they were in store for like he does with us we know that if we are going to receive the promises of god we have to live for him every day so we have to challenge ourselves to stay faithful to god just at the point sometimes when people want to quit is the point where if they would stick it out a little bit tougher that thing wouldn't bother them anymore yeah we used to tell people oh your promises you know just when you about to quit that's when god's getting ready to do something no that's when you're going to give up quitting is what's going to happen he never called us to quit are you kidding me <laughs> it's true <laughs> and say, yeah you know just when it gets the toughest that's when the blessing comes i've never really felt found that to be totally true in my life what usually happened when it got tough i made up my mind to quit kicking against the pricks just submit to god and let god do what he wanted to do <laughs> so anyway so in, in uh, Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 1 here, and, it, it, you know, this is the 40th year after the children of Israel have left Egypt. So if you think you've suffered long now, try 40 years. You saw everybody drop dead, all the complainers drop dead. That's one thing you don't have to worry about. People that don't know how to respect God, you don't have to worry about them people. Don't let them bug you. You understand what I'm saying? Because it's it's not going to last long at all. And verse 3, it says, It came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, Moses spoke to the children of Israel, 
according to all that God had told him. And he talked to them uh, about the law. In verse 6 it says, The Lord our God spoke unto us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough in this place. I know, I know, I know. We all think we've been there long enough. But you ain't there long enough till God says you're there long enough. It's not time to move until he says it's time to move. But when God says you've dwelt long enough there, in other words, you've been at this level of employment long enough, you've been at this level of blessing long enough, you've been here in this place where you don't like long enough. When God says it's long enough, that's when it's long enough. And not before. We want to jump out the frying pan before we get done. We're one around here half baked, half done, half everything. God's not going to allow it. You ain't coming out till he say you're coming out. But when he says it, you better be willing to move. So it's six of one, half dozen of the other. Some people get comfortable in their discouragement. Oh, it's like it's like the guy that was laying on the mat. Jesus found him. He'd been thirty eight years. He'd been laying there longer than Jesus had been born on the earth. He was there. Jesus met him. He'd been there already. And Jesus had to ask him if he wanted to be healed. Been there so long. He probably got a little lemonade stand set up and got him a little, <laughs> a little way to make him a little money off of that. You know, a little cup sitting there begging so forth and so on. You can get comfortable being disadvantaged. He says this, you dwelt long enough on this mountain. Turn, take your journey and go to the Mount of the Amorites. Ow! Lord, you mean in order for me to get out of here, I got to fight? And you know it, too. That's why you get comfortable. Say, um, I think I'll fight another day. I'm gonna, right now, I'm going to start selling limeade at my stand. Eliminate. We didn't sell lemonade long enough. Maybe we'll change flavors. Go to the mount of the Amorites and to all the places high thereunto in the plain, in the hills, in the vale, in the south, by the seaside. Just move. Go where you see people that don't want to be moved. Go where you see things that don't want to be moved. Go where there's difficulty. Go where there's trouble. Where you at is the easy place. God was feeding them every day. Huh? When they got tired of going out just picking their breakfast every morning, huh? he let it rain meat. They wanted meat. He gave them everything they begged for. So God is not opposed to you having what you want, even if you're begging him for everything. But he wants better for you. Amen. He doesn't want his children to live off of just his efforts. He wants them to have the experience and the joy of working their own land themselves. And that's what he's about. He's about putting power into people so they can know what it's like to be a son of God. You don't know what it's like to be a son of God until you're empowered to do more. And that's all he he does with us. He puts he allows us to have obstacles challenge us. If you're not challenged, it's of very little value. If the devil ain't sitting on it, it, it's not valuable. You understand? He takes up everything. Look at all these entertainers that that are worth billions of dollars. 
the devil gets everything he can as fast as he can. Everything that's of value belongs to the world pretty much. And then the church has to go in and possess and take it back from the world. The world just squanders what they have. A lot of these charities that are supposedly taking care of people do very little to take care of. Very little of that money ever gets into the hands of the people that need it. Other than if if that were so, we wouldn't have as much starvation and famine and illness and stuff in the world. So the devil will take everything he can and take it. He's the God of this world. He runs everything. So we come in as, as newcomers usurpers renegades whatever you want to call us bandits and we repossess for god but we have to do it god's way you can't use the devil's tactics and win you have to use god's tactics if you want to win and that's what he's teaching them he's teaching them not to be afraid he's teaching them that he is with them always and he says he says Verse 8, Behold, I've set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give unto them and to their seed after them. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did their job. They took it as far as they could in their generation. Every generation has a job to do for God. Every generation is called to take his kingdom, advance it to a certain level, and then the next generation takes over. You know what happens many times with, with God's people? The generation will take it so far, and then the next generation has to almost start all over again, figuring out what God wants and, and what to do and all this. We seldom take what the elders have taught us and carry it over so that we can be successful. Abraham was fearless. He went out and fought those kings. Remember when they, the uh, Lot was, was living away from him, and there a war broke out. And Abraham would go and rescue his nephew. He'd just get all his servants together off his property, and we'd go fight because what? He knew God was with him. He wasn't fighting just for nothing. And so he continued to obey God in that way. Now we have a generation where there's millions of people who are his descendants, and they're scared now, and they refuse to fight. It's interesting about fighting. Numbers never mean anything. Just because they were large in number did not mean they were more powerful, more brave, more anything. God always has to raise up a leader that wants to confront the darkness, that is not afraid, that will go forward, will do what he wants them to do. And this is what happened with Israel. God would raise up leaders, and the people would decide they wanted to do something different. Sometimes the greater the numbers, the greater the confusion, and the greater the division. Because people, you know, people get competitive then. They see, ooh, Moses, who you think you are being in charge of everybody? Let me have some of that power. You understand what I'm saying? And so you get more challenge within sometimes when you have greater numbers. That's why many times when God calls people into prayer, he will keep the numbers uh, remarkably small. 
because he can save by many or by few. But the greater number of people you get, the more confusion you have, the more potential takeover you have, the more people want to tell you how they would do it or how you should do it and all that kind of stuff. So you have to be careful to stay in line with what God has told you to do and know your place, but you're important to God and you have an important work to do for him because it's God who has called you, you know, and not man. So Moses tells him, you know, God swore this land to your fathers verse 9 he said i spoke to you at that time saying i'm not able to bear bear things by myself i need help managing you the lord your god has multiplied you and behold you are this day uh, in multitude as many as the stars of are in heaven the lord of your fathers make you a thousand times more you know let you increase and be blessed even more but he said how can my i myself alone bear your your problems and your burdens and your strife so then moses decided to have them uh, select elders from every tribe to come forward so that they could be in touch with the people so this is the first church structure that we see coming forth this structure of of leaders and one leader in charge and then discipling other leaders to shoulder the burden is very very common it's it's a common organizational structure for most businesses and for uh, for the church in general so moses said he had to have leaders so he said i took the chief of your tribes in verse 15 wise men and known and made them heads over you captains over thousands and and fifties and so forth and officers so you see the the formation of an army regiments of an army shaping up under moses and i charge your judges at that time saying hear the causes between your brethren and judge righteously between every man and his brother and the stranger that is with with him you shall not respect persons in judgment but you shall hear the small as well as the great you shall not be afraid of the face of man for the judgment of god uh, for the judgment is god's and the cause that is too hard for you bring it to me and i'll hear it so he set up a simple structure here of authority delegation of authority under god under god's rules so that people could be satisfied that they were being heard that their needs were being met if there's one thing you 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 don't want as a leader is dissatisfaction among the ranks and so god gave him a, a system and set it up so that everybody could feel important everybody could feel they had somebody near that they could come to when they had a dispute with somebody they weren't out there uh, alone and without any kind of protection and audience and, and that's what we have with god you can go to god anytime you want to and pray you can talk to him you have an audience with god he puts you in a church if, if you feel that he wants you there he will give you a place there and he will let you know you have a place there sometimes you'll get to a place and it's almost like god was expecting you to show up because things kind of seem to fall in place so easily uh, there's there's no strife there there's a a natural a flow to what you do and and god will use your gifts and your abilities he will use your talents and so forth and put you to work for him so that is very common when you're in god's i would say his perfect order and structure uh, now we have we have all kinds of churches out here we have places where people feel like they're just a number and 
can't get to the pastor, can't get prayer, can't get noticed. God never ordained that kind of system. You see here, he wants everybody to know they're important, everybody to, to know that, that they're not. Uh, he even made provision for the strangers that came and sojourned with them. They were included uh, in the government. And so it, it's it's it, what Moses is saying is God has always heard your, your needs. He has always taken care of you. You can trust him. Uh, that's the one thing that, that is glaring to me is that the people know that they're important. They know that they can trust God. They should have an assurance about that uh, in God by this time. The other thing is if you look at some of the books of the Bible, God has memorialized all those people that live back there named. Their families are named. The numbers of them are named. The Where they lived are named. Oh, that to me shows you are so important to God. Every time a Bible is sold, Joshua is known and Caleb and all their descendants are known by name to anybody who wants to look in there and see. So, so this idea of being important to God is very important for us to get it understood from day one. That you are important to God. He knows where you are. He's made provision for your every need. You're not down here as a victim. You're not down here being mistreated. You're not down here being overlooked. God, Moses told him, he said, don't be a respecter of persons. If a wealthy man comes in here successful, you treat him the same way you do as a poor man who's not as successful. Because God values everybody the same. And so the, that idea of value has to come, come across to us real strong if we're going to be fighters and, and possess and be obedient to God. So then he goes on to tell him, he says, And when we departed from Horeb, we went through all the terrible wilderness which you saw by way of the mountain of the Amorites as the Lord your God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, You are come to the mountain of the Amorites which the Lord your God has given to you. Behold, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. God has given you your family. Possess them for God. God has given you your property. Possess it for God. It's given already. But what do we do? We look at what it looks like, what might happen. <laughs> Woo, that's a big mountain. Woo, that's good. <laughs> We're overwhelmed, huh? By the challenge. Huh? Don't be overwhelmed by the challenge. God knew that challenge was coming and he told you to possess it anyway. <laughs> it was a challenge when he gave it to you. So, you know, we're afraid of going the next step and the next step and the next step and the next step. The one thing you do need to know about the devil, if you hit him, he will hit you back. That shouldn't be news to any of you. You don't just come up to somebody and bind them and tell them they can't do nothing. They just do it. He's always trying to take back. And the one thing he wants back is you. He wants you to quit serving God. Because you know, fell out over one little thing God promised you. You know, we get tested all the time, folks. Is is this going to make or break your relationship with God? That's what you got to determine, you know. If it's not a deal breaker 
between you and God, then let's get it on. You know, I told God, I would tell God, I said, God, I don't, I don't mind fighting for you. I said, but people say things that hurt. People say things that aren't true. People do mean things. Uh, church people, worldly people, they all will do something foul to you. I said, but as long as I know you as healer, you know, and I have assurance you will heal me, then I'll go forward. And that's the best deal you can get, folks. You cannot get spared all discomfort all of you know you you're not guaranteed to be spared anything you are guaranteed it won't take you under you're guaranteed you'll get victory over it but in order to get victory you got to get in the arena and duke it out <clears throat> spiritually speaking and so once we understand what we're up against and we understand that god has promised us victory he gave them that land that land was not dependent upon them winning a battle. Well, somebody needs to say something. Don't y'all keep sitting looking at me or ignoring me. That land was not dependent upon them winning a battle. Nor is yours. Nothing God gives you is dependent upon you winning anything. It's depending upon you standing and believing God in spite of what the enemy tells you, does to you, says to you, tries to steal from you, accuses you of, or whatever. Will you still stand? Standing is not fighting. Standing is putting your feet on that land and saying, this is what God has given me. I am not moving. I am not being pushed off. I am not letting the devil discourage me. It's mine. If you get in there and call those things that be not as though they are, instead of listen to the devil, well, who do you think you are? You ain't good enough. You ain't this enough. You'll never be anything enough for the devil to give you anything. That's why he's trying to take the little bit we got. Huh? And so when we understand these things, and we understand that what the nature of this warfare is, you know, we'll go in and and have a, a good relationship with somebody, and then all of a sudden it starts to go south. Well, do you stand and say, God, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to keep loving this person. I'm going to keep uh, sowing into their life. I'm keep blessing them, keep praying for them. Or do you just, you know, well, you know, well, I'm better off without them, you know. Like the Facebook people say, get all the haters out your life and all this kind of stuff. and All this make-believe. They involved in so much make-believe warfare on there. It's pathetic. you got to stay with the real thing. You know, you're trying to win people over to Christ. You're not trying to walk off and leave nothing that's not to your liking today. Uh, it's 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 amazing what we do sometimes. Let the devil discourage us and deceive us into thinking our life is so horrible. Your life is, you have a good life. If you'll live it, <laughs> you'll have a good life if you'll live it. We're trying to live something else sometimes is why we're disappointed. So anyway, um, he says to them, I think we're in verse 19, God commanded us to go up and possess it. Verse 21, behold, the Lord has set up the land before you. Go up and possess it. As the Lord God of your fathers has said to you, fear not, neither be discouraged. 
Now it's interesting, we're living in a day when many Christians back in the day, years, centuries before, would long to have lived in this time. They would love to have lived in a time where you could get on a, in front of a camera and the gospel would be preached worldwide. They had to walk everywhere <laughs> they went. They had to, you know, do a lot of things that, that were difficult to do. And, you know, God raised up people who made that possible for us to make it easier to do the will of God. But the, the more easy it is sometimes, the more people play and don't have time for God. You know, they're just all, uh, you know, doing things that, that aren't edifying, making it hard for people who are going forward to go forward. But, you know, but God, he has a plan for those who will stay faithful. He says, and you came near, verse, behold, verse 21, the Lord God has set before the land before you. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of your fathers has said to you, fear not, neither be discouraged. Uh, underline them too. Because sometimes we're afraid to make a move that God tells us to move. And then the longer you stay in a place that's, that's not pleasant, the more discouraged you are. And you don't realize that you've bound yourself with your fear. You know, you're afraid to release more prayer into the thing. You're afraid to believe God for things to change. You're afraid for, to extend your faith. And, and your faith is not costing you anything. Nobody knows but you and God what you're believing him for. But we need to believe him for what he promises us and not be discouraged in, in believing. Discouragement more than anything will hinder your faith. You cannot be discouraged and be full of faith at the same time. You cannot be discouraged and go forward at the same time. Well, you have to fight discouragement. So really, this is, the, this is really what the Israelites were fighting. They weren't fighting real people because they found when they got there, God made the people run from them. So they did very little hand-to-hand combat. They just had to show up on the battlefield and see what God would do. And see, when you think about it that way, what is it costing you to hold on and believe God for the which you think is impossible? You think it's not possible because it's been going on for a while. You think it's impossible because your best efforts to change it haven't done anything. So why don't you let God do it? Why don't you just stand and let God do it? Huh? That's what the Bible says. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord. Just don't move. Huh? Just don't move. Don't let the devil move you. Oh, devil, I know, you know, I'm not going to dissolve my family. I'm not going to walk away from what you've given me. I'm not going to quit on this job that you've given me. I'm going to get promoted here. I don't care what it looks like. They're going to promote me, and I'm going to be successful in this. I'm not going to quit on believing for a spouse. Amen. I'm not going to quit for believing for a godly marriage and a family and good children, obedient children. Children that I can raise in your nurture and admonition. And so these are the things, these are the everyday life things that we do. But possessing really has a great impact in every place that we are. It's amazing when, when Moses did die and Israel 
went over and possessed a little bit of land. They hadn't possessed much. By the time they got to Jericho, those people were so afraid of them. They were hiding behind the walls of the city. They were. They said that that city was shut up because of them. And when they got in there and started talking to Rahab, the harlot, they found out. She told them. She said, "These people are so scared of you." She said, "I'm scared too. So I'm going with y'all. I'm not staying here because I know it's not going to be good for this place." And see, you don't know the reputation you carry in the spirit if you would just get up and stand and let God show you something that he wants to do for you. But they hadn't won many battles. And yet and still, they had all the known people of that that area of the land afraid of them. It's the same way now. That little nation of Israel has got all the Muslims and Arabs over there scared. Because they they won't cave in. And that has perturbed them and that has frightened them to no end. The same thing with Christians. The reason we get fought everywhere, uh, people protesting us and wanting to sue us for everything, is because they are scared. Because those devils know they're going to have to give up on those people. Those people are not going to be their pawn forever. You got me? Sinners are not going to stay in their sin forever. If we're believing for a great revival, what revival is, is people give up sin and start living holy. And they know that's upon them. They know they can't. They can't hide anymore. So all they can do is fight, protest, and try to hang on. But they're not going they know their days are limited. Everybody who's in sin and, and fears they can't get out of it, they know their days are limited. And that's what they're fighting now. It's a conviction that is imminent upon them. And the, all they know how to do is to try and threaten the source of the conviction. And that's what, what we are. We're the source of their conviction. And so Moses tells them, don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. And these are the two biggies you've got to fight. Things will come to your mind sometimes. Well, it's taken such a long time, and I don't know if I'm ever going to. Don't let your mind go there. I don't know if it's ever going to change. I don't know if we're ever going to do this. I don't know if we're ever going to. Now, that sounds crazy to God because he tells you he already gave it to you. Huh? He's waiting for you to possess it. He's waiting for somebody down here to believe that they have it already. I'll tell you, people that get physically healed are the ones that believe they got it already and act like it. You look in the Bible, it's full of people who believe they had it already and act like it. The man lying in the bed for 38 years believed he had it and got up. Jesus told him to, to get up off that bed. He sure got up and he obeyed him. So he must have believed he had it already, and he acted like it. Anything you need from God, you're going to have to believe you got it already, and you've got to act like it. He don't believe you believe nothing until you start acting like it. We go around moping, discouraged, and hurt, and wounded, and all that. That means nothing to God. you got to act like you got it. And that's why rejoicing is always an open door for a blessing and a miracle. Because you start rejoicing in God and thanking him. He said, oh, here's a joyful person. Maybe they'll believe that they can really have what I told them they can have. Joy opens the way for your blessing. Why? Because it, it magnifies God. 
makes him bigger on the scene. Your fear and discouragement make your God very, very small. So that's why he tells you not to do that. Moses told him, don't be, be afraid, don't be discouraged. And you came un- near unto me, every one of you, and said, we will send men before us, and they shall search us out the land and bring us word again. Now, why do you need another word on top of what God told you? See, that's mistake number one. Sometimes you just need to get bold in your faith and go up and do what God told you to do. But here's the 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 ever ever living confirmation. Huh? I gotta have a confirmation. As long as you're looking to further your strength in God, He will confirm it. What these people are looking for is an excuse to stay like they are. God knows the difference when you ask. If you are really uncertain about whether God tells you to do something, he will help your faith. He will send you a confirmation. But if you're looking for, if you've already got your mind made up, it's too hard, it's too this, it's too that. God, it's okay with God if I stay here forever. It don't matter how long I stay here. Look at the consequences of them possessing land. Because the people were increasing in number, you got nowhere to go after a while. You're going to have a riot on your hands just for taking care of large numbers of people. So they had to do something to spread out. But by this time, they were so accustomed to God responding to their whining. See, there's a place where you got to let go of whining and start living by faith, but for real. You understand what I'm saying? God is not going to baby you and hand feed you forever. He wants us to mature. There are souls out there that need to be one to him that are waiting on us to grow up. Or at least you get out there and say something to them. And quit wondering about what's going to happen to us and when we're going to get this and when we're going to get that. Go do something while you're waiting on your win. Absolutely. I would. I had, that was the only way I got healed from a nervous breakdown. I had to, and I didn't know, I didn't have any faith teaching, you know, which maybe in a way is okay. (laughs) God will teach you anyway, you know what I'm saying? But I knew that I had to do something different than just sit around and, and worry about my health every day. I had to do something different. I had to start little by little bit getting out, doing small things that helped me get up to break that chain that was chaining me up that told me I couldn't do things because, you know, uh, I'm too nervous or, or I'm afraid, I'm, you know, something is going to happen and, and, you know, I'll pass out or something like that or, you know, I'll get too depressed or, you know, anything like that. I had to break myself out of that. And start living little bit by little bit. And trust me, it was a crawl. We all crawl before we walk. There are some things God will bless us with that to encourage us. But we take steps little by little, really, into the promises of God. And so he tells him not to be discouraged, not to fear. And he says, you asked me, you said this, you came to me and said, this is our plan. We're going to send men up to search out the land, bring us word again by what we we must go up and into the cities where we shall come. 
And the saying pleased me well, and I took twelve men of you, one of a tribe, and they turned and went up to the mountain and came into the valley of Eshcol and searched it out. And they took of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us and brought us word again and says, it is a good land. Okay, If anybody has any doubts, it is a good land that the Lord our God has given us. Notwithstanding, you wouldn't go up but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. So even our confirmations can work against us. See, if we're not willing sometimes to step out and allow faith, uh, know what it feels like to step out in faith. Know what it feels like to do what you used to be afraid to do. Know what it feels like to trust God completely. And this is all God wanted them to do, was to get in that frame of mind where they could get obedient, where they could know that God was with them, they could know what was good and what was not good. But God told them in advance it was a good land. That it, all they had to do was believe what he said. And this is so important to me, the way I see it in developing faith. You've got to take God at his word and forget what it looks like in the natural. Even if they had not brought any grapes. And they said the grapes were so big, the men had to carry them on a pole between their shoulders. Just one cluster of grapes was too big for one person to carry. That's how they brought stuff back. What more do you need? But even that wasn't enough. See, if you're unbelieving on God's promises, all the things you see in the natural, all the natural confirmations will never convince you. You must take God at his word in order to move by faith and possess what he has for you to possess. There's no two ways about it. And that word will become even more real to you than what you see in the natural. I remember when I was was praying for my husband to get saved, there was a time where everything he did that upset me, I got mad because I thought, well, when he gets saved, it'll be different. I wish he'd get saved so he'd be different. I wish he'd quit that. There was a day that came when I just let all that go. You got me? In other words, I freed myself from the bondage of watching somebody else struggle to believe God that's all it was he was just struggling to believe God and me and my pride and my religion didn't have enough compassion to understand what was going on see I went into judgment mode and I judged him as not being worth praying for honestly you know I mean I don't know if you've ever been there but I got there I'll be honest and say it you know if you ain't been there you might get there this is no use. This person ain't changing. Hmm? I remember a day came, I let that go. That wasn't my life's work anymore to watch to see if he changed. See? I found something else to do with my time. Like work on my bad attitude. And try to live as a witness before him. And maybe win him over. You know, like the word says. I decided to do the word. <laughs> that was a big enough job. And so, uh, but I remember that I just quit watching 
everything he did. I quit reacting to it. I made up my mind. God, this is, and I remember God gave me that scripture. It says salvation belongs to the Lord. And I remember reading that. And, and he said, yep. He said his salvation is none of your business. He said, it's my business to get him saved. And after that, I was straight. I let it go and, and let it go with the word of God. I disconnected emotionally, you know, going up and down and doubting and fearing and getting mad and calling somebody for prayer and telling all the saints, you know, what difficulty I was having. I'd cut all that stuff out and made up my mind to believe God for a miracle. Salvation's a miracle. I figure if I got a miracle, my husband could get one too. And it didn't take long. Before I realized it, he was. We had moved to Detroit, and uh, I was. Uh, we were still arranging furniture in the the new house, and and I remember going up to this room. He liked to put up his all his speakers and his, you know, he treated his sound equipment like it was, you know, communion or something. You know, I was there. Couldn't have dust on it, and. When we packed it up, it was all pressurized and I don't know, all kind of crazy stuff. And, uh, so he took out his wonderful sound equipment, you know, his his worship sound equipment, like to play his little jazz music. So I went up there and he was testing out his speakers and he was crying. And so I said, oh, this is new. So I just, I wanted to go out of the room, but I just, you know, felt to go in and and he said, I was just thinking about how much God has blessed us. And he said, he said, you know, I used to get mad at you when I would tell you things that I had accomplished at work. And you would say, oh, good, praise God. You know, it was just normal for me to say that. And um, he said, I would get angry. He said, but because I, I thought you didn't give me credit for what I was doing. See what I'm saying? So you learn something. If we could shut up and quit complaining, we'd learn a lot about, <laughs> about people. You know what I'm saying? Stay out of God's grill with your stuff. And, uh, and he said, I realize now that God gave me the opportunities to make the efforts. And he opened the doors for me to do all of the things. He said, I, he said there isn't anything that I've ever wanted to do in my life he hasn't helped me to do. And so that was his, that's what we call conversion, folks. People really will get converted and want to get to do God's will if you'll let them. If we will let them <laughs> possess the things God wants you to possess with your faith. That's all you got to do is trust and believe God for them. Change will happen if we will believe God. And I know my faith was hindered by my emotional reaction to everything he did. I wasn't in faith. I try to believe, believe sometimes. The minute he did something I thought was wrong or I didn't like, I was on the war path again. See, it's not going to happen. God, when are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? God doesn't have to tell you when about anything. Uh, he does it after the counsel of his own will. And so trusting God means that you will receive whenever he gives you, whatever he gives you, and the amount that he gives you with joy. Amen. So that's trust. So he says here, he says, notwithstanding, you would not go up. Verse 26, you refused. He said, God gave you evidence that it was a good land. It was producing grapes and people 
our people went and got grapes and took them right out of that land and nobody stopped them. So that should let you know that the enemy is not your problem. Hmm? The enemy's not your problem. It's God's problem <laughs> to take care of for you. And the devil's already taken care of. All you got to do is stand and tell him what he can't do. Because of God's word and your covenant with God. You aren't big and bad, but your God is. Your God certainly is. He says you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God and you murmured in your tents. Here we go again. Are you murmuring in your tent? Under your breath, you know what I mean. Because you And you said it's because the Lord hates us that he brought us forth out of the land of Egypt. You see, at some level, all disobedience is distrusting God. And God knows it. We see here in black and white, it's pretty obvious what they thought. But anytime we, we don't want to do God's will, we rebel against God's will, we don't want to do what God says, and we put it off too long. Huh? It means that you don't trust God. You think he's up to something else. And it says, or God doesn't want me to be happier. He would have done this already. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, come on. God could give you the sun and the moon, and some of us wouldn't be happy. Some people just make up their mind. It ain't never enough. Uh, ain't never enough. <laughs> and you said this. The people are greater and taller than we are. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. Them walls so tall you can't even see over them. Huh? And moreover, we have seen the, seen the sons of, there were still giants, you know, that were people that were extraordinarily big size, you know. They even uh, stayed alive until the days of Goliath, you know, where Anakims are there. And I said to you, dread not, neither be afraid of them. The Lord your God that goes before you, he shall fight for you. God has already fought for you. You're just facing an enemy that's a little stubborn. And I can tell you this. The more stubborn the enemy is, the better it is for you. I just want to, I just want to live peaceful. I just want to, I just want to, remember what I said about worldview? How do you view yourself? Just your little world and that's all you want? Huh? Or you want to be a person that makes a difference in the world? I can remember some of the richest testimonies I used to hear. I was in a women's ministry when I first got started, and I'm so thankful for that experience. And and I can remember uh, women that would, some of the women that had the gentlest spirit, and they were a blessing to be around, you know, especially when they got my age. (laughs) But I ain't getting gray, all right? Don't expect it ain't coming. Anywho, but... uh, (laughs) But, you know, usually they were little gray-haired ladies and proud of it. And, uh, but some of them, when they would share their testimonies, had gone through some 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 very horrible times of deprivation. You know, like um, there was one lady 
her her husband uh, was an alcoholic and uh, had you know there were women that that started out with husbands that beat them. There was one girl that her face had been broken so many times by a, a husband and. And she was just as sweet and, and loving and kind and loved the Lord does to this day. You know, I get notes from her on Facebook sometimes. Still loves God. That God blessed her with a, a husband and, and she's had, had children with him and grandchildren. Everything's a blessing in her life. But it came because she surrendered her life to God even and served him even under strenuous and difficult situations, you know. These situations that we think are so so hard if you choose a path other than that if that's the path God's chosen for you he will sustain you on that path you don't have a guarantee that if you jump over and start doing something else that you'll be blessed over there you know and I knew that from from day one I knew there was only so much I could do to change the path of my life and it be right it be successful. And so I just say that to say that if God's got you in a place where you're you feel it's difficult or you struggle or you don't have the blessing you think you're supposed to have, whatever it is, we've all got stuff, you know. Uh I got stuff, you got stuff, all God's children got stuff. But whatever your stuff is, if you will trust God and believe that he is helping you to possess every single day, you need to remember that God is, is helping you to possess what he is giving you. He is helping you to to get into a place where it's a good land. It's flowing with milk and honey. You might have a trickle here and a trickle there now, but there will come a day where it will flow, where the blessings will flow, the joy will flow, the goodness will flow, everything will flow. You know, I learned how to live in the spirit. I learned how to live close to God uh, because my marriage was still under repair. You know what I'm saying? It it was a fixer-upper when he found me. You understand what I'm saying? It was still under repair. And so some things will be under repair until you go see the Lord. You always go have problems coming up. You live with people. They live with you. There will be issues. So you, you have to expect that. And so it it says, Moses told him, don't fear, don't be afraid. God is going with you, before you, to fight according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. So he says, you're not rookies at this. You've had a history with God. He brought you out of Egypt and your feet didn't even get muddy. You know, he babied you out of Egypt. When are you going to let him quit babying you and now you want to stand and walk like you're supposed to? And he says, don't fear him. He says, uh, and in verse 31, he said, and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God bore you up as a man doth bear up his son in all the way that you went, yet you, until you came to this place. Yet in this thing you did not believe the Lord your God, who went in the way before you to search out a place to pitch your tents in and a fire by night and to show you which way you should go in the clouds by day. If when you get discouraged and you don't want to go forward, think about what God's done to, for you up until now. That's all you have to do. The Bible says that he would rehearse, children of Israel would rehearse in their ears the mighty works of God. 
all you got to do is go back and play your tapes of how God found you, brought you out, saved you, kept you, preserved you. Some of you have grown children now. He's got your kids saved or in process of salvation. Don't give up on them. Keep praying for them. And you'll be able to see them come in. I would love to see everybody here see their sons and daughters worship and serving God. You understand what I'm saying? What a blessing. What a blessing. And it can happen. And he says, God goes before you. He says, yet in this thing you didn't believe the Lord your God. And he did all these things for you. He says in verse 34, And the Lord heard the voice of your words and said, I was angry. And I swore, saying, Surely this, there shall not one of these men of this evil generation see the good land which I have sworn to give to their fathers except two people. Now you've got to realize this is something like, I would say maybe a million. There, I think there were 40,000 of them at this time. About a million men died who were fighting age because they refused to fight. See, when you don't fulfill your godly purpose on this earth, it does not extend your life. You got me? You shorten your days. It doesn't go well with you. Why? Because you're dishonoring your father by not obeying him. Uh, remember, that commandment is it goes for God as well as it goes for your spiritual father as well as your earthly father and mother. It says, honor father and mother so that what? It'll go well with you, and your days will be long on the earth. So I always tell people, I say, you want to live long? You better hook up with God, find out what he's doing, what he wants you to do, your part in it, and do it. You'll be here for a while. You won't go anywhere for very long. Rebels eventually come to the place where they see their error, they repent, and they go home to be with the Lord. That's his mercy. You want to fulfill purpose in God. You don't want to just hang around here and barely make it and not be, you know, all that while wondering what it would be like to obey God. You can know. So let's get out here and do what God wants us to do and and we don't have to wonder. He says, surely nobody is going to see it. Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it. And to him will I give the land that he has trodden upon and to his children, because they holy, 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 holy. Holy means you do everything God tells you to do. You don't do the fun stuff and leave the (laughs) the unpleasant stuff. (laughs) I remember when we were were kids, we would have, have to clean up the kitchen, and nobody wanted to scrub the pot that the food stuck to. We didn't have nonstick cookware back in the day. You had whatever you could cook in. And I remember everybody had a pot that was soaking. Well, what's it, who's going to clean that? Ew, it's nasty. I want to put my hands in. You know what I'm saying? That's the part that, eh, we got to wholly follow the Lord. We got to do the unpleasant things as well as the pleasant things in God. You can't expect somebody else to scrub out your pot you got to go and make sure that thing gets cleaned and gets taken care of and so when we wholly follow the lord it's not hard god whatever you want me to do i'll do it i've got to forgive this person that constantly hurts me i will do it and i will smile 
and I will embrace them and, and win them over for you. People make you angry a lot of times. They just need to be won over with the love of God. That's, that's just all there is to it. And so when you understand that and you understand what you may be withholding from someone, say it again. When you understand what you might be withholding from someone, then you'll realize, God, I could gladly do this. This isn't too much to expect of me. I'll wholly follow you and do even the distasteful things <laughs> that I need to do. Things that I think I'm too good for because I'm serving you and they ain't serving you. And all that stuff goes through your head, you know. I remember I would threaten him. Threaten him. I said, God, I'm going to pull a knife on him. If you don't save him tonight, I'm going to pull a knife on him, you know. All this stuff holy people do. <laughs> Oops. 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 Could it be that someone is not so nice to me because I'm not so nice to them? Just a thought, not indicting nobody, just a thought. But that goes for every place that you are. If you're in the workplace, we think just because we're the Christian in the workplace and they're sinners that we can get away with murder and they got to love us. And Get real. They hate your guts and as long as they're sinning, they'll always hate your guts. But you can win them over to God's side everybody that you're around now that doesn't know the Lord there's a place where God has placed you as a witness for them and there's this place where they will probably come to you at some time and ask you for prayer or ask you to help them to understand something that they don't understand about God they'll take life seriously you know and start to want answers and that's what you're there for you can't be the Christian that's defensive and angry and all that kind of stuff because they need you. They need you to come out of darkness. And isn't that what we pray for all the time for souls to win over and so forth? <laughs> so he says that, that the only ones that were left were Caleb and Joshua. We know that. But do we know why they were preserved? Because they believe God's word in spite of. God's word preserves your life. See? It's good for you to believe God just so you can stay alive and you can stay healthy. You can keep in a sound mind. But if you get discouraged and refuse to believe God or say it doesn't matter anymore, you don't want that anymore or anything like that, uh, you, you run the risk of, of displeasing God because he wants people who believe him <clears throat> even when it's tough. It's easy to believe God when everything in the natural shapes up the way we want it. But it's hard to believe him when we don't have what we think we want or deserve. I don't know. He says, moreover, your little ones, which you, which you, said, uh, which you said should be a prey, and your children, which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil, they're the ones God's, God's going to use to go forward and do what you couldn't do or what you refused to do. So what God is saying here is whether you obey him or not, he'll find somebody to do it. There's somebody waiting in line. All the distasteful things that we think are too hard and, and it's too much for us, he'll find somebody to do that stuff. He's always got people who want to obey God. He'll give them a chance to go forward and possess the land and live well. They'll live better than their parents did because they obey God. He said, but as for you turn you and take your will journey to the wilderness by way of the Red Sea 
Then you answered and said unto me, We have sinned against the Lord. Now we're going to go up. Now they see the light. After they've come all this way and they know they've disobeyed God, instead of believing God to begin with, then they go after the fact and now they want to obey him when it's convenient for them. Convenient obedience is never pleasing to God. Immediate obedience is the only thing that pleases him. Sometimes truth in the natural will wear us down and wear us down and wear us down. And then we finally see. But you could have obeyed God just taking him at his word. What we want is natural evidence for supernatural happenings. And God's not giving you that. Because the same day that they say they're going to go up now and they're going to do this and they're going to do that, they're going to find that it's not pleasing to God and God is not with them. God is not leading disobedient people. He only leads obedient people. So God had already made up his mind what generation was going to go in and it wasn't them. And they thought they could change God's mind. You know, through the same like people just repent all the time. They know they're doing wrong. I repent. Ah, you better try and figure out what you mean by repentance. You know what I'm saying? You got to ask God for that change on the inside of you that will cause you to be victorious over this thing. You know, you can't just say you're sorry and then think it's okay, it's all good, and you're going to get the same reward as the people who wanted to obey immediately. It's not going to happen. It pays to be obedient to God. Other than that, we would be able to mock him and say, oh, I don't have to do that now because God, he's going to let me do it when I want to. I got proof. He let me do it that time. He let me do it that time. He let me. That's why people backslide. That's why we have a backslider's prayer for people who think that they can mock God and their day won't come when they have to account for their disobedience. Listen, if you can get up and come to church and be on time and pray and do all those things, everybody can. If I can, everybody can. There's no excuses for not doing the things that God has called us to do. He provides everything for us. So he says, and you decided you were going to go up anyway in verse 41. And the Lord said to me, tell them, don't go up. Don't fight. I'm not with you lest you be smitten before your enemy. So I spoke, spoke to you and told you, but you didn't even want to hear that. So everything, Moses, once your mind's made up, you don't trust God, you won't trust him. You know what I'm saying? And really, here's a people thinking they can give lip service to God's commandments, but their hearts not be in it. And so God is saying, I want your heart. If your heart isn't in it, don't try to go through the motions of being a devoted this and that. I remember doing some things for my husband and 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 uh, not and resenting it, you know, just little little things because I felt I wasn't getting anything back. I was in I'm important mode, and uh, God made me do them over and over and over again until I did them with joy. <laughs> You see what I'm saying? I don't want your lip service, eye service, none of that. He said, you keep doing this. 
And and to this day, if he were alive, I'd still be doing them. Why? It became a joy to do them. It became a joy to serve. It became a joy to trust God. It became my delight to do everything God told me to do and do it with joy. People who do things, you know, to help in the church, they last longer if they can enjoy what they're doing. And it's not up to me to make you enjoy it. It's up to you to see joy in it. Do you understand what I'm saying? And and be content in, in what you're doing. And so this is why he wasn't with the children of Israel. He knew their hearts were not in it. And God wants your heart. He wants you to trust him. They were going up to possess because they didn't want to lose out now. See, they they had seen what they were losing out on. And they didn't want to lose up and so lose out. So they went up to try and win a war without God with them and they got totally turned back and, and many of them lost their lives trying to fight where God had not sent them to fight. And so we have to in this this battle that we have of righteousness down here on this earth, we have to learn how to be timely. We have to learn how to be obedient. We have to learn how to trust God. There is a lot to your victory, but you can do it. You try doing some things without the power of God with you and without the anointing of God, and you'll learn you got to have God with you to do these things. Yeah, I see people that are always trying to have ministry lines, calling people up, and all this kind of, they do all these crazy gimmicks and Everybody run up here. Well, that's not going to make you more powerful. Whether they walk or they run, you know what I'm saying? That's not going to empower you to do any. They can run up there and just be tired getting up there to the prayer line, but you'll have the same power as if they walked. And so we have, <laughs> we have to understand, folks, that God knows what he's doing. If we will start seeing ourselves the way God sees us, your faith is not just for you for your little personal needs Uh, it's for a much bigger picture than that there is faith that you're going to leave here for others to enjoy because you'll be able to impart it to them but if you don't have it there's nothing to impart so why don't we quit now father we thank you for giving us the word of power and your word of blessing lord thank you father for giving us joy at hearing your word understanding your word father we know that that we are overcomers we need to walk that way every day every day walk in your joy and in your assurance and your promises that today is a great day because the great god is with me today is a day of blessing because god has blessed me Today is a productive and a fruitful day because my God is productive and fruitful in me. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. If you want prayer, come on up and I'll pray for you before we decide.